pleased and honored to have as our guest teacher tonight, Mark Coleman. Mark Coleman is on the Spirit Rock Meditation Center's Teachers, Teachers Council, and he has been teaching Insight Meditation Retreats since 1997. He teaches um, wilderness meditation retreats throughout the country and also sometimes outside of the country. Um, he's the author of Awake in the Wild, Mindfulness in Nature as a Path of Self-Discovery. As you can probably tell, he's an avid outdoor enthusiast with a passion for nature. Um, and he's also a psychotherapist and a life coach. He teaches a number of day-longs and classes also at Spirit Rock, including the Essential Dharma class. So thank you so much, Mark, for leading the sit and sharing the Dharma with us tonight. Thank you. So, good evening. Nice to be back. <clears throat> it's been a long time since I was here, many, many years, I think. And the, gr the group has mushroomed, like mushrooms, or algae or something. Um, spirulina, probably, given we're in California. So... And I love teaching in this church. It's such a beautiful church. The light earlier, for those who were here earlier, was, was quite exquisite. So what I wanted to talk about tonight when I was originally thinking of this theme, it was uh, I was thinking of a talk called The Path of Vulnerability and what the place of vulnerability is uh, in our practice, which is not something often talked about, but something we, we might feel in our lives, in our difficulties, in our meditation. And sometimes life has a way of beating us to a pulp, um, and uh, throwing at us really difficult things externally, internally, uh, both often they come together. And um, the reason I wanted to give the, the this theme, which is which is a theme that I that I reflect on a lot, which is the fusion of the qualities of the heart and of presence of mindfulness that for to really meet ourselves and meet our experience to meet the moment that we need both the quality of presence awareness mindfulness that we cultivate in our meditation practice and we also need the quality of uh, of love because the love brings a certain softening a certain yielding and gives us greater capacity to hold difficult experience, hold ourselves. So I've been exploring this, um, or have been exploring this for decades. Uh, more recently, um, 
re-experiencing various layers of trauma from an early age. And um, as I said, sometimes life will just force us <laughs> to become vulnerable, to become open, that we don't have any choice. Um, and that's certainly the, my experience at times uh, when deep emotional layers come up uh, unbidden uh, through various circumstances, um, through loss, through relationship, or just out of the blue. Uh, and this practice is always inviting us to show up or asking, how do we meet this? How do I deal with the ups and downs, the, the tragedies, the challenges, the, the fluctuations of life? How do we meet it with uh, openness, with, with acceptance, with kindness? How do we not suppress it, run away, watch the Olympics 24 hours a day as a way to avoid <laughs> being with ourselves? <laughs> I just talked to my parents today who live in England and they're very excited about the Olympics and the, the, t- the TV's on 24 hours a day almost. <laughs> There's worse things to avoid our experience than watching the Olympics. So I really just want to bring that in, into into a discussion here of of, of uh, and to ask you to reflect on your own experience of when you encounter difficulty or stress or anxiety or fear or loss or loneliness or all of them together over breakfast. Um, what's the response? What's the inner response? You know, usually the first response is we recoil because it's painful, it's difficult, it's perhaps uh, something that we're familiar with and we don't want to be experiencing over our conflicts or in our meditation. But of course these things keep knocking on the door, don't they? Hello? <laughs> there's something to be felt, there's something to be known, there's something to be understood. Different layers I think one of the challenging things about life and practice is it's not linear. Have you ever noticed that? We come with these ideas of, oh, I'll you know, find a spiritual path and I'll do some meditation practice and develop some practices and, and they say it gets easier and easier. <laughs> I get more proficient in meditation and more skilled and there's just this opening to layers of light and grace and it's all uphill or downhill or whichever way is easiest. <laughs> and that can be true at times. Um, but my experience and looking at everybody else that I know, that's, it's not quite like that. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's like life. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bumpy road. I was just exploring in meditation today, as I said earlier, for those who came late, I'm uh, doing a yoga nidra training, which is a a very deep restorative uh, meditation practice. And what I was um, uh, exploring was the uh, concept that I 
learned initially from Stephen Levine, who teaches Peter Levine, who teaches about somatic experiencing and this concept of pendulation, where in our experience, uh, where experience is forever expanding and contracting, and so we may be experiencing a very beautiful state of consciousness, like love, which I was this morning, um, or it could be joy, or it could be uh, kindness. And if we fully allow and go into that experience and, and, and experience it to its fullness, at some point it will reach its zenith and it will pull up, as it were, its opposite or, or a counterbalancing quality. So it might be we might go to the fullness of love and then experience loneliness or sadness or isolation. And if we go deeply into the sadness, at some point we may touch connectedness or fullness. So, um, so the practice is uh, requires a certain tenacity, a certain perseverance, right? To, to because it's not linear, it's not smooth and uh, requires we have a certain flexibility to meet these different experiences that keep bombarding us, which we sometimes we just want the whole thing to stop. <laughs> Please give me a break. <laughs> I want to take a mindfulness break without having to practice. And then we turn the TV on or whatever our drug of choice is. So I wanted to share a poem. <clears throat> I've been playing with writing poetry the last few years. Um, and this is a poem called Not Running. Your only duty is to not run from here. Even if the hole of loss burns deep in your belly and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day stripped bare and it feels like the wind will pierce those empty places within. You can always pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's never worked and only burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing and makes the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when you touch the starved places inside you've spent a lifetime running from with delicate hands of love, the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree, without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, even the forgotten needles fallen to the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that is always right here. So I read that because it's a it's a poem that speaks to the orientation. How do I meet this? How do I turn towards rather than turn away? How do I soften into this experience, this pain in my body, this sorrow in my heart, this loss I'm experiencing in my family or my community or the suffering that I see walking around the streets or I hear on the news, how do I keep softening into that, opening to that, without hardening, without 
the the heart going numb. And in my experience, um, in the same way that mindfulness is a doorway to disidentification and in, and because of that, a sense of greater spaciousness or ease, um, and I'll say a little more about what I mean by that, in the same way when we move into experience with the loving presence, with kindness, it also allows a certain disidentification. And again, what I mean by that is that when we let go of our resistance to things, can soften, can open, can yield into, uh, can accept, can allow, there's a way, because there's no resistance, there's a certain spaciousness with that experience. There's a certain ease, it allows a greater ease with it. And we're not so caught in resisting and fighting and struggling and therefore becomes more bearable. It's very, it's very counterintuitive. The things that we most, the least we want to, least want to experience, when we surrender into them, it's actually mostly okay. Might not be pleasant, might not what we want, might not be what we choose, but there's a certain, uh, there's a certain, um, Where we're in, in harmony with what's true. And when we're in harmony with what's true, there's less suffering. Is this making sense? I'm just reminding you what you already know, as we always do up here every week. Um, there's a line by the Sixth and Patriarch that goes something like, Awareness is the foundation of kindness, and kindness is the is the expression of awareness. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Or mindfulness is the foundation of kindness. Or empathy, compassion, because we when we learn to be with ourselves, with presence, with attention, and meet all of the difficult places in ourselves, then of course what happens is we can. We turn the favor to others and we bring that same quality. It becomes the foundation, becomes the expression. Our practice becomes an expression. That's why these teachings talk so much about the movement of the heart into compassion because that's what flowers out of our deep capacity to be with ourselves. Another poem from you. This is by poet Marie Howe, wonderful American poet. And it's a poem called What the Living Do, and it's written to her brother Johnny, who died of AIDS when he was 28. And she's speaking to the, the, the vicissitudes, the challenges of this life, and what happens when we stay open. And, and it will be revealed at the end of the poem what happens. She says, Johnny... The kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't work but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we speak of, we spoke of. It's winter again, 
The sky is a deep blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in there, and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and again later when buying a hairbrush. This is it, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold. What you call that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call and not call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments when walking and I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. So you get that in the end of the poem that she's here she is going through the everyday struggles of the mess of life, the chaos of life, the blocked sink, the heating that doesn't work, the plumber that hasn't been called. And there's this, you sense there's an openness. It's like we see the, the there's like there's a little chink in the in the in the mirror in the glass, and she sees a reflection. And she, there's an openness, there's a tenderness, there's a vulnerability, there's a heartfulness that somehow makes it all possible or all doable or all worthwhile. So perhaps as you're listening, you can think about the places in you that you turn away from. So that poem was speaking to turning towards. I did it. I led a, a, a rafting retreat recently for veterans um, who were doing active service in Iraq and Afghanistan um, on the American River. And we used that poem as the theme for the retreat. What are you... Uh, what are you needing to turn towards and what are you running from? Which was uh, a really powerful theme for those folks. Um, Because we all have our own wars that we're running from, our own scars, our own battles. And of course we never get that far from them. (laughs) As Ajahn Chah says that I love, we, we... by running away from suffering, we run towards it. We run and run and run around the block, and then we get around the block. Oh, and there it is. It hits us in the face. <laughs> so our practice is, is inviting us again and again. What's, what's here? What's this? So, you know, in this tradition we teach mindfulness practice, we teach loving-kindness practice, compassion practice. And at some point they just come together. They become one and the same thing, that our uh, mindfulness practice is a, 
is a, is a kindness practice, is an expression of kindness. And a kindness practice has awakeness and presence within it. So when you're with your experience or you're with some situation at work or in, a, in your relationship or at home, every now and then it's useful to pay attention to what, how am I meeting this and with what kind of qualities? Or is it what, kind of, what way am I meeting this that could be more supportive? In that am I meeting this with a laser-like clarity and insightful presence but there's no heart? There's a kind of a coolness to it. There's a, there's a cold objectivity that's not actually uh, allowing the fullness of experience. And conversely, am I meeting this with uh, so much heart, but I'm, there's, there's, a, there's a quality of clarity that's missing that in my old tradition they used to call muddled metta that was overly kind that the way we're so kind that we neglect ourselves as an example or become a doormat in some way that's not respectful of our own boundaries it's hard work holding this microphone up for 45 minutes (laughs) I have to go to the gym a little bit more. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite poems by a poet called Rashani, who I know little about. Rashani Ray. And in it, she, I believe, speaks to this, uh, what I was, the point I was speaking to earlier, which was, when we uh, when we're present to something without resistance, it allows a certain disidentification, a certain spaciousness, in which the experience can be uh, can be in its fullness and can also unfold in a in a, in a very profound way. Um, and often when we go into the more difficult dark places, often what comes up is some deeper quality of presence or strength to meet that quality, to meet what's needed. Maybe you know that in your experience. So she writes, There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken. A brokenness out of which comes the unbroken. A shatteredness out of which comes the unshatterable a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. A hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. A hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. A cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. So this is a very challenging poem and a very, and a very deep poem. Someone who's really 
as you can hear, gone to some dark depths. But what I love about it is the hope and the possibility that she speaks to, particularly in this last couple of lines. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole. So often it feels like when we're in the midst of really difficult experiences, when we're experiencing loss, the breakup of a relationship, it feels like the heart sometimes is going to break open, break apart. Anybody had that experience? (laughs) Anybody in that experience right now? Raise your hand. Yeah, happens. And it feels like we're going to sink or drown. And the heart's going to break. The heart doesn't really break. It just feels like it's the mind's interpretation of it. And when we go to the very depth of that experience, we find there's a certain strength, a certain resilience, a certain unbreakability I remember reading, coming across a, a line from Ajahn Chah uh, where it said something like, um, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't uh, wept unconsolably in meditation, you haven't really meditated. Which means if you haven't gone to the depths of the, the difficulty of human experience, you haven't touched the capacity the depth of meditation. I'm not saying you will have to weep every day in meditation. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. But there's a there's a range, there's a capacity, there's a potential that we have that the that the practice supports us. So I'm curious um, if there's any response to uh, what I'm saying. Um, I don't particularly want to do a monologue up here the whole evening. So um, any response, any comments, any reflections, any questions? What's, what, what, what's, what's happening within you as you're hearing these words? Yes, please speak loudly. Yeah, so she's noticing that she's feeling more compassionate towards herself. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to speak to was uh, was self-compassion. That the, the, um, I think the basis of so much of our practice is self-compassion. You know, there's a lot of talk about compassion practice in Buddhism and other religions. And the place that's probably most lacking for most of us is compassion towards ourselves. It's usually easy for us to feel compassion if a friend or a loved one or there's a tragedy happening in the world. The heart usually, you know, there's some capacity to respond, but with ourselves, often we're we're judgmental. We think we should be over it. We should be dealing with it better. We should be not so sad. We should have gotten over the grief by now. We should have, whatever, done something to avoid the pain. 
And the, in my experience, the basis of compassion really is self-compassion, is, is meeting our difficulties with some tenderness, with kindness, with understanding. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, living with living with some roommates, I I know about these things. <laughs> Every day she packed. Do it while you're eating. Yes. yes. Then it might be time to say something. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, there's, of course, there's no there's no rule and there's no right or wrong way, and. Um, I think we always start with trying to be with it as much as we can. Um, I think that's the first doorway because sometimes, sometimes we can. There could be a similar experience like that where you where you simply bring presence to it, and and you can find that place of non-reactivity and and disidentification. It's just not a big deal. It's not what you choose. You know, it might be your neighbor vacuuming every evening while you're having dinner and there's some less you can do about that so at some point the mind has to relax it's 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 always more complicated when 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 we can engage and can possibly interrupt certain habits and patterns um and i think it's just a question of listening you know for you first you know, the first step is always oh, what's happening what's my reaction and then also assessing what's 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 reasonable, what's uh, you know what's what's a wise view in that in that context. And there's a place for also speaking and, and taking action. You know, wise mindfulness leads to wise action, so it informs the wise, appropriate response, the kind thing to do. Which in this case is kindness to yourself, saying, "Hey, you know, is there another time that you could consider vacuuming?" Or however you say it, you know. So there's, there's not a rule, and there's a, it's always a middle way. But to pay attention to really what's happening in your own mind and where you choose to act from, and and when and how you choose to act. Yeah. So in my experience, it's mostly helpful to talk about my experience rather than what they're doing. So. What's what's happening for you as a result of that experience? How it makes you feel, as opposed to you should not be vacuuming. Whatever you might say. 
how dare you? <clears throat> and other wor- wor- you know things that could be a lot worse than that. <laughs> so you know, and then and then to see what that brings up. Oh, it b- maybe brings up vulnerability. Maybe brings up fear of confrontation or fear of someone's anger or disapproval or I should be you know or, or some Buddhist superego. I should be able to be Zen with everything, you know, and not care about the fact that they're vacuuming my face. Well. That's not really what the practice is about. It's about you know, meeting what's true. And if, it's, if what's true is it's frustrating, there's a place at some times to communicate that. So, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Who has the lease? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. When does it become wallowing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So when does leaning into an experience become wallowing? Um, my experience of that is uh, when, when things, are, when emotions are generated by the mind, a particularly an obsessive kind of thinking that keeps going back to a similar event, a similar story, a similar belief, that becomes at, at, at some point wallowing. So um, when things just arise out of, uh, out of conditions, you know, you're sitting on the bus and suddenly you're just feeling really sad and sorrowful. Um, that's a very different circumstance than if the mind just keeps regurgitating a story of self-pity that puts you into a spiral of you know, deeper self-pity. Um, so that's one, one distinction. Um, I think there are others. Yeah, well, to be mindful of the story, to be mindful of the impact of the effect of the story, and to watch how cyclical that story-making becomes. You know, there's a place for story. There's a place for the context of our lives through story. But when we reinforce a particular view or belief that creates uh, suffering, that would be a form of wallowing. Yeah. Did you have something at the front here? Interesting. I'm like, 
wow, I think I keep thinking I can be in control of my state. And if I get into a state of spaciousness, somehow I can maintain that. And when it goes away, there's a problem. So it was it was very vulnerable to realize I'm totally fucking not in control. <laughs> and um, it was it was very freeing for a moment. Yeah, it is. So I'll just repeat that. I assume you couldn't hear at the back. Is that true? Yes. You could hear or you couldn't hear? Couldn't hear. Okay. So what was your name? Margaret. Margaret's noticing uh, that she started off the morning feeling spacious uh, in meditation and then started to feel anxious and then started to feel anxious about feeling anxious and then... Uh, was aware of the vulnerability uh, sort of underpinning all that, which was that she's not in control of her emotional states, which is true. That we're not, we, we, we're not in control of what arises, and that, 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 that is part of the vulnerability that I was speaking to as being human. We, we just never know. You know, you might have the greatest day ever, and you get back home, and suddenly you feel really lonely. You know, or you've been... Uh, you know, to someone's funeral and you walk along Ocean Beach and you feel incredible serenity or joy. You know, we just don't know what's going to arise. And that is very vulnerable. To be open enough and sensitive enough and fluid enough to have an openness to that fluidity. Yeah. Uh, it also makes life very rich and very juicy and very full and, uh, and meaningful. Um, and it's, it's also challenging. Yeah. It requires a, um, a, a kind of a tender perseverance to be with all of that. Um, and it's also the human state. You know, it, it's a form of dukkha. You know, the first noble truth is there is uncertainty in this life. Yeah? And it's a certain vulnerability. We don't know whether we're going to be alive next Tuesday evening. Um, I hope to be because I'm teaching here next Tuesday. But who knows? <laughs> we'll wait and see. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you for that. It's... it's uh, it's just, it's just such an incredible poignancy to, to this human life that we're conscious of ourselves, Homo sapiens sapien, and to the, the unknown of it all, the uncertainty of it all. And it's both beautiful and it's also scary as hell. You know, because we just, we just don't know. The only uncertainty is the only certainty there is. So perhaps we'll leave it on that note. And um, I uh, thank you for your presence and invite you to, um, uh, to pay attention to the quality of vulnerability uh, and tenderness and compassion in your life and how you meet your experience. And to notice without judgment, what do you turn towards and what do you turn away from in yourself in your loved ones, in the world, and just to see what what happens when you 
You're on a bus and someone gets on, they look like they're really intensely suffering, and you just look the other way. You just, you just can't deal with that that morning. Yeah? Or you're walking past somebody on the street and their, their vulnerability tears your heart open. What happens when you turn into that? And so just to be curious with yourself and, with, and life as it unfolds. Okay, thank you so much. I think Tara has some announcements. Um, I have some, I brought a few cards on, on the back table about my, my other work. As Tara mentioned, I do a lot of stuff. If you want to know more about my work, the main website I have is awakeinthewild.com. Awakeinthewild.com uh, has all about my nature work and poetry and all kinds of other things. Okay, thank you. And I'll see you next week. So, one announcement. Um, next week, starting at. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.